All right, well, good morning. Today we have just a one-off topic. Should a Christian date an unbeliever? I chose not to have a handout, but anyone who wants my notes, just let me know and I can send those to you. Anytime I have a topic like this, if you've heard me teach before, my goals are always to be biblically faithful, pastorally sensitive, and culturally conversant. And so we are going to look at some implicit and explicit texts today. You can start turning to 1 Corinthians 7 if you want. We just, we want to know how to maturely and wisely handle um, God's word uh, in these matters. We got to know what God says so we can apply it, but then we want to take God's word and pastor people. Today is not an apologetics lesson. It's not to equip you with some heavy doctrine. Very much my focus is on the second goal. I want to equip you to have a one-on-one conversation with someone who is considering dating or marrying an unbeliever, or to work through that. Obviously, I hope there is someone who's listening to me live or in the future, uh, who will this apply to directly? Um, But I know for many of you, don't check out. We are a body of Christ. We, We just had a baptism last week, and we promise to be part of raising those children as a community. So this is your responsibility as well as mine. And we want to be culturally conversant. Dating is really a cultural kind of concept. And so we won't talk a lot about cultural things today, but we must know that we, the tides of culture are against us on this topic. If we, if we are lazy or just ignorant and think that because our children grow up in the church, they go to youth group, maybe they go to a Christian college, that it's just going to seep in. And we don't have very deliberate conversations about things that we take for granted. I think we're going to be really surprised. We're honoring some high school graduates today, and it's a scary time for a parent because it's, it's kind of that time that the children are going to be out from under the roof, and you don't know. You just don't know if the faith that you've taught them is going to stick. And, and that, that's, it's a moment of faith for us as parents. Uh, but if, if our youth are just a, a group here at church, they gather in the back, and there's no interaction, there's no cu- whole community, like we preach all the time with community groups and all sorts of other ways of community, if we're not integrated as a whole body, we can expect them to be drifting with the culture. They're on their phones, they're, they're, it's being taught to them, and they as a whole church body might just be drifting in a direction that we all think is so obvious and so clear. And so let's know that and approach this very prayerfully as well. Now, this is a tough topic because I I can't, on the one hand, warn people against a false choice, a a bad decision, without necessarily probably wounding someone in here who has made that choice or is in this situation for other reasons, maybe even offending you. And so all I can do is is be biblical and yet turn you to Christ. (laughs) Christ has mercies and grace that we can't even contemplate. He, he can work in your broken situation ways that we, we can't imagine. In fact, he fashions broken situations in his weird sovereign way. And so the scriptures actually have much to say to you if you are married to an unbeliever. Very encouraging words of hope that we'll talk about. But I know this could be a painful thing. This is not some ethereal classroom subject, um, you know, some seminary thing that you can just kind of say what sounds good in a group. Th- this is something that is very painful for some of you. Uh, because you're having these conversations, you're having these concerns. And so I'm aware of that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we are humbled to come to your word on this subject. 
We don't want to avoid such hard issues, and yet we want to handle them well. So we pray that we would have the mind of Christ, that we would have that right balance of, of being biblically faithful yet pastorally sensitive. Give us, um, give us your words. Help us to know to ha- what your mind is and not just our own thoughts, not some conservative, Christian, uh, traditional type of view of these things. We want to know what you have to say on this. And uh, we pray that the Spirit would be with us now to apply your word to hearts. And I pray that you would ensure that some who need to hear this message, um, that this would be a timely um, message for them to hear and to consider. I pray that families would be able to sit uh, and talk about these things as well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you go to 1 Corinthians 7, uh, we've, we've used this text a lot. It's a, uh, it's, it's full text. Um, t- take time to work through it sometime. We've talked about it when we've talked about being single versus being married. It's, it covers divorce and remarriage. It talks about the role of sex within marriage. So we've covered all of that. If you go down to verse 39, that's probably the most explicit text I would turn to. 1 Corinthians 7:39, Paul says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. And that's it. That's, that's the requirement. There's a lot of cultural norms. There's a lot of general wisdom we can apply to how to find a, a suitable spouse, a marriage partner. You know, you go to these, these dating apps, you know, shared hobbies, your view on life, your age, compatible careers, what you want to do with children, uh, similar theological beliefs. All those are good. All those are wise to think through. But there's really only one requirement that God gives, only one, that you as a Christian be married to a believer, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is God's requirement for you. It is the standard. It is the expectation. So after all the advice, you might sit down, and I would, I would implore you to stand with God. The only thing that you would put your foot down for is this. This is it. There might be some weird things. If my 20-year-old daughter wants to marry a 40-year-old man, it's going to feel weird. I'm probably, I'm going to caution. I'm, I'm going to talk through those things. But in the end, I'm going to support it. I'm going to be and walk her down the aisle. That's it. There's nothing wrong in that. There's nothing God says you can't do. If a widow wants to marry a brother-in-law, we're going to be like, ugh, tension. That's just weird. But it's, a, it's okay. <laughs> it's been done. It's okay. God is pleased with that marriage. If a Baptist wants to marry a Presbyterian, boy, the tension they're going to have. But it's okay. It's completely fine. Even if, uh, if you're willing, it says who they're willing. If you're willing to follow your cultural norms in an arranged marriage, I don't think we can say no. If it's to a believer, it's okay. It's a legitimate and a valid marriage. Go back up to verse 12 now in 1 Corinthians 7. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an un- unbeliever she, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Paul is saying that being married to an unbeliever is not in itself grounds for divorce. We, we know in Hebrews 13, marriage is honorable among all. Marriage is a holy institution no matter who enters into it. We as image bearers of God, it's a blessing from God, even if they don't even understand that it's a symbol of Christ in the church and all these things. 
two unbelievers getting to marry is, is a wonderful thing. They're, they're, it's a grace of life. The very fact that this question is being talked about in 1 Corinthians 7 shows that the expectation is to be married to a believer. You can just imagine two pagans get married in their culture, no problem. One comes to faith, and immediately there's this question, well, I'm now married to an unbeliever. Should I divorce them? And Paul is saying, no, you're already married. You're, you're in a holy institution. The spouse, the children, there's a, there's a holiness there. Um, there, there's, there's, a, there's a covenant there regardless of that relationship once you're already there. Notice the condition. If the unbeliever consents to remain or is willing to remain, this indicates that the marriage of a Christian and non-Christian very possibly, if not likely, will bring great tension and discord in the home. Someone who is faithful to living out their faith and practice with an unbeliever side by side, hours a day, in the most intimate of, of earthly relationships, that's going to cause tension. That, that's almost an expectation. Paul doesn't seem to be surprised at all that they would want to leave. He almost seems to expect it. But if they're willing to stay, then stay. On the other hand, I don't want to make the appeal, and I don't think you should make the appeal to someone. That y- your, your basic appeal should not be to this person who's considering uh, marrying an unbeliever, that your marriage is going to be bad. Because that almost puts marriage on a, some idolatrous pedestal. There are some really bad Christian marriages, right? And there are some un- marriages with unbelievers who have a lot of joy and a lot of fulfillment. And so while there is an expected tension, and that is part of the warning, if we, if we just say, well, if you just go down, the, you know, go down the box, well, I married a believer, everything should be great. It's kind of like the problems we have with purity culture from years ago. As long as you save yourself from marriage, sex is going to be awesome. That, that's, that's putting a, a good consideration too high. And so there is expected tension, and yet don't, don't go over the top. In the end, we're, we're trusting God's word that being married in the, in the Lord is important, and, and it's, a, it's a clear requirement. We'll talk more on that in a second, but while we're here, just keep going in 1 Corinthians 7. But the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved, God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And here we have one of those great specific encouragements in scriptures. If you're married to an unbeliever, God has a calling for you. There is hope in that marriage that the grace of God, the gospel, is going to come and save your husband or your wife and your children. That, there's your calling. Instead of, woe is me, how am I in this mess, either because either you came to faith later or you made poor choices earlier, whatever, you now have a very clear calling, a very high priority calling in your life to, in the words here, to save your spouse. And so, not in a sacramental way, but I would say it, an unbeliever being married to a believer or having a believer as a parent is very much a means of grace, right? There, there's a... Talk about privilege, that's a privilege. Huge privilege to share a home with a believer and the influence that the Holy Spirit can have uh, through that union. 
So you, Christian wife, Christian husband, you, Christian parent, you are in a mission field right now and take it very seriously. High, high calling. And now I think we're very blessed. I'm going to ask Terry to come up. So this is my question for Terry. In what ways has being married to an unbeliever affected your Christian walk? Touch the, there you go. So in what ways has being married to an unbeliever affected your Christian walk? So I'm not interested that Steve might have personality um, issues. We all have those, right? I'm sure you have tensions in your marriage. We all have those. That's not the point. But, but what specifically do you think the fact that he's been an unbeliever, it, what, what would you expect to change if he became a believer? Praise God. Um, so please. Well, it's a very loaded question, and I've been married for almost 37 years, and a lot of it has changed over that time. It's multifaceted. We're coming from different worldviews, so it's really hard to partner with somebody in close ways with um, such different worldviews. It affects absolutely everything, how you spend money, how you do your taxes, how you parent, the entertainment that you involve yourself in. There's been times that I felt compromised and uncomfortable because of a movie he wanted to see or whatever. And I'm sitting there kind of squirming and he's, but do I pick the fight and take my ground? I'm not going or do I go anyway? So submission issues become kind of muddy as well. Am I going to risk a fight, or do I just go? Am I compromising my faith, or am I honoring my husband? Sticky questions, and some of those have changed over the years. Um, I had to give myself notes because there are a million things I could say, and I didn't want to take up too much time. <laughs> uh, okay, so Steve didn't mind church in general. Didn't mind if I went as long as it was Sunday morning and didn't bleed into the rest of the day or the rest of the week. He didn't want to be inconvenienced by all my involvement, um, going to Bible studies, even sitting at home reading the Bible. He wasn't a big fan of that, and he made it very clear. I remember, um, and I don't want to say anything that's dishonoring to him, just to give examples of what it could be like um, and how it was for me. Um, he worked nights. The kids were already in bed. I was studying my Bible, and I hear his truck pull up, I panic, slam everything shut, shove it under the, the, the couch, and then just pretend like I wasn't reading the Bible. He didn't like it, he made comments about it, so I learned to hide. And when you hide this big piece of you, it creates distance. And so I became a covert Christian, which bled into how I parented. It's, again, the worldview. He didn't have um, the same worship values. And so trying to disciple the kids towards that, he would make comments. And so again, was I being weak or was I being, um, I didn't want him to say anything to the kids in front of the kids about Jesus because I didn't want them to start seeing, I don't know. So it was just awkward and weird and I didn't know how to openly disciple my kids because dad right there on the other side. Um, one time we went camping and our Suburban broke down. Steve's a mechanic, so it's not a big deal, but we're on the side of the road. My littlest had to go potty, so I trek her up behind a bush, and while I'm away from him, because it's always my go-to, let's pray about it. 
but I couldn't do that right in front of him by myself, fine, but to involve one of the kids. So Kayla and I, and we pray, then we come back, and Kayla goes, Daddy, we prayed for you that Jesus would help you fix the Suburban. And my heart went, and Steve's face, I can see it right now, he was kind of mad. Mm. Um, so I, he didn't mind church, and he didn't mind that I took the kids, but when the kids got older, I don't know about yours, but mine would kind of balk about going to church. I don't want to get dressed. I don't want to go. I want to stay home and play. And when Steve heard that, he would say, don't make him go. I'm staying home anyway. Let him be with me. So instead of having a big fat fight and dragging a crying kid, I caved. They stayed home. So there I am at church with all the families. It's so cute. And I'm alone. And my kids are home watching NASCAR. One time I had Aaron in church. He was hand-holding age, so he was young, toddlerish, but talking. And he said, I can't wait till I grow up and be a dad. I'm like, oh, how sweet is that? Why do you want to grow up and be a dad? Because dads don't have to go to church. Crash. So just, you know, a million of those. Uh, so church was optional then, and it's optional now. My family, nobody goes, except for maybe the holidays. Never Steve, but the kids will go. Um, he would not support my taking them if you know, they didn't want to, but even now, they will plan things on Sunday because it's not their world that they go to church on Sunday morning. So they'll just plan things, and with very little regard to my wanting to go to worship. So now I'm forced to choose between two things I dearly love, worshiping the Lord and fellowship, or being with my family. And it feels like an unfair choice. So with all that, does it sound lonely? You bet, very lonely. There's a great big divide because I love Jesus so much and I love my husband, but I can't talk to him about it. We don't share anything in that plane. So it's very isolating. Uh, and with my covert Christianity, I have learned to downplay anything exciting in my spiritual world. Yeah, because the way that's met is just not, it doesn't feel good. And our social lives are very affected. He's not interested in any of my friends, and I'm not that interested in his. So we don't have a lot of mutual friends together. I feel like I'm straddling a weird line. I'm sitting on a fence, and the world pull is so strong anyway, but I feel like I've got someone on this world side with a strong rope trying to pull me in even more. So basically, I feel like a fraud in both worlds. And last thing is I don't really feel like I fit in at church. You will say, yes, you do. That's not true. But that's just the way it feels. Tell my emotions that. I'm married, but I don't have a husband. I'm a mom, but I don't have kids. My kids are older now, so it's not so bad. But uh, still, I don't fit in with the singles because I'm not single. So it feels like there's no place for me, which is one thing I love about our women's ministry because we've really strived to make it multi-generational. And it's the one place I can go where there's not a bunch of couples and a bunch of kids. So I do fit in. So that's my selfish take on that. And um, so it's hard. It's hard, I wouldn't recommend it. I felt compromised, I felt hidden, I felt isolated, and he's a good guy.
stay here. I'll pray for you. Okay. Uh, Father, only you have the grace um, capable of bringing great joy, um, peace, and happiness in such a situation. I thank you that even despite um, the heartache we just heard, you have uh, used Terry in this church in mighty ways, one of our most gifted speakers of men and women, and uh, she does have a place with us. We pray that you would comfort her in that and assure her of that. We pray for Steve to come to faith. We pray by whatever means um, that, he, that he would come to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we would see just an amazing revival there. But until that day, we pray for Terry's wisdom in making such uh, choices, and giving her great wisdom of how to submit, how to honor, how to love, um, and thank you for the vulnerability that the gospel provides that we just witnessed. Uh, we pray for all of us to be uh, her family and, and for one another. In, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank, you. thank you. I think your words mean more than you probably realize. Uh, if you go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 6. Is William doing all right back there? Will. Will. Oh, I've lost my notes. All right, there we go. Uh, verse 14, I think it is. So now I kind of want an example of... Oh, good, my computer just shut off. All right. I emailed an earlier version to myself. Verse 14, I think. 2 Corinthians 6? I think that's what it is. All right. I'll have to hopefully remember my uh, updates since I emailed this. Okay. Um, verse 14, how am I doing? Okay. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now, you've probably often heard verse 14 quoted as an example of why not to marry an unbeliever. But if you're not careful, depending on how you look at the scripture and how you've taught your children to look at scriptures, it's going to bite you. Because this passage doesn't say anything about marriage, not directly. And so if you say, well, the Bible says this, honey, let me show you this. And you go, and they're going to say, well, I don't see anything here. Like, so if you have a simplistic way of needing some explicit chapter verse reference for everything in life, it's not going to work out. And if you've taught your children to read the Bible in that simplistic way. So we really do need a very holistic, methodical reading of the scriptures. I know some of you like these juicy Sunday school topics. And I obviously think that they're important because I do them. But if you had to choose, thankfully we don't, 
I would say, no, go through your 12 weeks of the attributes of God. <laughs> get, get a full meat and potatoes diet of the word week in, week out. If you ever move from here and have to go to another church, don't go for the great speaker. Hopefully you can get great teaching and great speaking at once. You can't always. Go for the, go for the teaching that will, will bring you faithfully through the word of God over the weeks and over the years. That is going to bolster you. So then you can come and look at this text in a different way. And don't, don't be a chapter-verse kind of person to use the Bible to bolster your argument, right? Your position, your argument ought to be developed by a faithful reading of God's Word. So on the one hand, you can look at some of these Old Testament texts referring to how God told Israel, the physical nation of Israel, to separate them themselves from the Gentile nations around them. They weren't to, supposed to mix in any way, and that's supposed to have some kind of a teaching for us. There's lots of passages we can turn to, but here's a couple. Deuteronomy 7 says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, you shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. Why? Why not? For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Nehemiah 13, foreign women made even Solomon to sin. So take it from the old covenant context into ours. There's a mixing of believers and unbelievers, light and darkness, that tends to delude the light, right? That's where the tide is. We have great hope in a marriage to an unbeliever that that spouse might come to faith. And a great encouragement, the great hope, that does happen. But we also have the warning that you could drift, you can slide. We, we heard some practical ways that happens. It would be very obvious that that could happen. Why would you put yourself in the, in the position that you might be turned away from serving God and serving other gods? So really, you want to start to think about this specific topic in much broader biblical categories. So you don't have to go, you know, we do have 1 Corinthians 7 that is quite explicit, but you don't even need that. You wouldn't need that passage to come to the same conclusion. Look at the binary and mutually exclusive categories in 2 Corinthians 6. Righteousness and lawlessness, light and darkness, believer and unbeliever, temple of God and idols, holy things and the unclean things. Would this passage even need to explicitly refer to marriage? What other relationship you can possibly think of that this would apply to and not apply to marriage? It doesn't make any sense. So what does this passage and the rest of the Bible really say about the unbeliever you want to date or marry? This is what it says. She is unholy. This person you're infatuated with is unholy. He is deaf and blind to the gospel. He doesn't get it. She blasphemes the honorable name by which you were called. There's no neutral category here. The, the one you love either submits to Jesus or blasphemes God. And he may not know it because he has suppressed the truth of God and righteousness. But hear me, this one you love, this one you want to bind with, hates your Savior. He hates him. He's not neutral. He's not okay with you doing your religious thing. He hates him. If he could stand at the foot of the cross, he would yell, crucify him. It's light and darkness. There is no neutral ground when it comes to Jesus. None whatsoever. So you're telling me you want to be yoked, you want to be tied together, partnered together with a person who's going to mold and shape you 
You expect that person to spur you on to good deeds? You expect them to recognize when you're wandering from the truth and need to be brought back again and save your soul from death? You expect this unbeliever to train up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord? It's ludicrous beyond measure. Think about it. It's, it's insane to have that argument. It's absolutely crazy. You are absolutely playing the fool. You are playing with fire. Now I've talked about marriage. The Bible talks about marriage. The Bible doesn't talk about dating. Not directly. So he, let me talk about some general principles that apply to dating. The Bible is it's, it's kind of an elusive cultural category. We have this weird thing we see where... Um, People are betrothed in the Bible. We know through history there's been courting. There's obviously arranged marriages. So there's, before, before marriage, it's kind of an open field, and, and it's, it, it's not so defined. What do you mean by date? Go out for a meal? Be exclusive romantically? What does romantic even mean? Obviously, the Bible has a lot to say about sexual immorality, so there's a black and white line. But there's, well, yeah, do you kiss? Where do you kiss? We could get pretty detailed here, right? So I'm not going to, I want to be true to what I just said. I'm not going to take an explicit stance on if you can date or not. And if someone's sitting with me, that's not where I'm going to go. I have said this to my children, and I believe it. Dating is for the purpose of finding a spouse. But I can't find that. I can't quote that anywhere, right? That's my position on dating. So instead of going there and risking kind of losing some tactical battle on chapter-verse quotations. Again, you want to take the Bible and pastor hearts. I'm not here to have a theological argument or a tit-for-tat on verse versus verse, right? I want to, what's going on in this person's heart who's sitting before you, thankfully willing to come to you and talk to you about it, right? You have a great opportunity. So counsel the heart. Think about answering the real question that's behind the explicit question that's being spoken. Don't let that be a distraction. It could even be a red herring. It can just, the devil can use the theological discussion in some mighty ways to keep you from Jesus. So put the onus back on them. They're a professing believer. They claim to believe this word of God. So take them to the word. First Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all of the glory of God. So tell me, Susie, how does dating this person glorify God? How are you glorifying God in this? That's actually a pretty deep question. It sounds like maybe a throwaway. You ought to be able to answer that. Why are you eating this ice cream? Or jalapenos, the glory sensor, right? If you were at the camping trip. That, you, that is, that's an honest question. You should be able to answer that. Romans 14, 23, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So tell me, Johnny, do you believe that God can bring you a Christian spouse? Do you believe he can do that? Or you, like Abraham, trying to fulfill God's promises through your own flesh, through your own means? How did that work out? Whatever proceeds from faith. Are you acting in faith in this relationship? In a trusting way towards God? Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. How would this relationship edify you in your walk of faith? How is it building you up? Tell me that. Tell me how this could possibly build you up. And I think you're going to end up having one of four or more reactions, I suppose. These are the type of reactions I have. Number one, praise God, they might see. They just needed some objectivity, some clarity from the outside to say, wow, I have missed it. 
You know, people are so bound by emotion and passions and lust, and they're, they're not even here. To, it really, they've not even considered what the Bible says. They've probably gone to the Bible in a way to justify. They've already made their decision, and they're looking for a way to justify it. So you're, you're not even dealing with some logical discussion. You're dealing with emotion. So don't, don't get so lost on the logic. Don't, don't go, I mean, use God's word, but get to the heart. Hopefully they'll see that, and you will have been a means for that. They could get very defensive. And now you can ask them about that. Well, why are you being so defensive, right? Because they're going to start to have some shame from these verses, very possibly. Well, don't pile on shame. Get, get alongside them. What, what's going on in your heart? Why are you so fearful about this? What, tell me what's going on. I, I think I, I've heard some practical advice um, when I knew someone who was going through a divorce. Um, uh, Phil Glassmeyer gave this advice. He said, they need someone to counsel them as a couple, and then they each need a counselor who only talks to one of the spouse or the other. There's kind of these different roles. You can't be all of those. You can't be his friend and yet their marriage counselor. Um, I think it, the same would apply here. If someone already has someone kind of being faithful with the warnings of Scripture, like I'm emphasizing today, maybe you don't have to be that second you know, shot from afar. Maybe you're the one side by side saying, man, I bet that was a hard conversation with your parents or with the pastor. How are you doing? You don't have to give in. You don't have to compromise. But you you might just say, I have a different role here. And that takes great wisdom. Takes a lot of wisdom. And keep confidences if you're in that position. That's hard to do, right? Those of us who are mature might be sitting around wanting to help this person. And you've got to honor honor any confidentiality there, and yet be praying and working together. So they, they might grow, they might become defensive or some other reaction. It's very possible they'll run. They're going to run. And that, that's where you want to really start honing in on the real question. At some point, the, the word of God piles up against them, or you start to see their ungodly reactions. At some point, and this is really hard, parents, at some point... <laughs> The person in front of you, you've really got to start questioning. Are they a believer themselves? Because if they're not a believer, 1 Corinthians 7 isn't for them. <laughs> Quit piling on Christian ethics to an unbeliever. You, who cares if they marry an unbeliever at this point? You have someone who's endangered their soul. And we need to get them the gospel. And that takes great wisdom because it really should all be gospel-centered. It should all come together. But at some point, You've got to stare what's, what's in your face and come to reality that your friend, your child, may not know Jesus themselves. And then their decision to marry an unbeliever makes a lot of sense. So now they need the gospel. Don't, don't let the idea of marriage be a distraction to the gospel or politics or so many things we've talked about over the months. And that's going to be hard for you. You're going to have a lot of fear. You're going to have a lot of shame. How did my child that I raised get to this point. It happens. It does happen. So be honest about it and take it to the Lord. Again, with great wisdom, at the right time, if you already have a good relationship with this person, you can't be some stranger coming from afar, but you, at some point you need to warn them very plainly. It is not time to mess around. You can't worry so much about what this is going to do to my relationship in the future. Again, this is very hard. This takes a lot of wisdom of no when to do this. You've got to talk to them in some plain language. And I'm talking to someone, hopefully, that's listening now. 
you are a professing believer, clearly violating the God, God's word, have no good um, use, have no good reason to think that this is a walk of faith. And I tell that you are crucifying again the Son of God. You have set aside God's word. You have trampled underfoot the Son of God. You have proclaimed the blood of the covenant by which you were sanctified. And you have outraged the spirit of grace. These warnings in scripture that you might have read in the past, you thought were for others, they're actually for you. God has given you great warnings. If you, dear brother or sister, go on sinning deliberately after having received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sins. You're lost, you're dead. If you're not going to come to Jesus, that's it. You should expect fearful judgment. The Lord will judge his people, have no doubt. I hope that presses on someone's heart today. Now let me turn in comforts. Again, <laughs> I know this is painful for some of you to listen to, either because you have a loved one or you yourself are in a situation. Here's another verse of encouragement. First Peter 3, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. We have great hope that through your influence, your daily, uh, submissive, respecting, loving influence, your prayers, that your spouse can come to faith. Believe in that. Hope in that. Believe in a sovereign God that can do, after 30 years, what you would never think is possible. He can do it. Uh, we do have time for a few comments or questions. So, right, I think this is a very timely, necessary um, lesson. I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit, like let's say you feel it's on your heart to get involved or to like, or let's say you're in that situation like and it's a friend of yours, like what are some things for the person trying to help to keep in mind, some things to look out for in themselves, like ah, uh, I'm trying to think warning slides, like you know, sometimes we can fall into self-righteousness or we can begin to speak without grace or we can begin to go off of our own understanding or opinions of the situation as opposed to the Bible. So what are some things that we can look out for internally? Well, I think you kind of said it, like to be aware, aware of your self-righteousness, aware of, of, of having opinions, taking your, being humble enough, have a conversation. Maybe a fourth reaction I should have said is maybe they'll convince you. You know what, this, what I'm doing with this person is, it's, not sexual, obviously, that would be too far. It's, may, maybe they would convince you on some details that, okay, maybe I disagree with what they're doing, but um, I see where their heart's in the right place, maybe. Um, show them that you're willing, if they could turn you to a passage and you can't answer, say, you know what? You're right, I'm not sure how to answer that. Let me go back and study. So keep studying to you. Any, anyone else have advice on answering that question? Because Galatians 6, 1 and 2 tells us to keep watching yourself. You want to bear one another's burdens, but, but watch out for how you might be influenced by them. I don't know if I have anything more specific on that. I'm sorry. Any answers to that or any other comments, questions? I actually have a question back here, Keith, in the sound booth. You got it. Uh, we've talked about this before, but the idea, it's, sometimes it's very, it's very easy to fall in love. It just happens, right? 
um, because you might be working with this person or um, somehow you're, you're in close proximity to this person and they're not a believer. But we know that the Holy Spirit could, could turn that person around at any, any point. Yeah. And as you said, the, the Bible doesn't necessarily say anything about dating per se, but, the, but marriage. So what can be said about allowing, kind of allowing that to happen? Allowing the, allowing the dating? Allowing the Holy Spirit oh. to, to enter that person's life. I know at some point that, that begs the question then, at what point do you end it if, if it doesn't look like it's going that way? But because um, obviously it, it's possible. God again, again it. I, I always want to turn to heart motives. Number one, as a friend, you've got to be why You can't, Terry mentioned it, you can't just beat this person up. You don't want, you don't want your whole relationship now to be centered on this one topic, right? That's just going to berate them. It's going to drive them away. It's going to exasperate them. And now it's great wisdom of if and when, how much do I say, when do I have this, this conversation? It's the same with brothers, sisters, and parents who might visit. Like, am I going to talk about Jesus every time? Or in this case, am I going to talk about your dating relationship every time? So there's, there's that part of it. So I'm glad you asked that. On the other side, I think you're asking, at some point I'm not getting through. Maybe I just leave it to the Holy Spirit. I, I, I can see that. I, I don't know. I, it, that's a prayer for wisdom. Because um, you... You want them to know that you care about them as a person, not just this topic. And so sometimes being silent on the topic is necessary. So they, th that loving relationship you're already in continues, and you, you're there supportive for them. There are situations, say a homosexual marriage, that I would not go to, but I would continue to be friends afterwards. Like that would be my own take probably. I don't know until I'm in that situation, but there are, there are ways that you can disagree on a topic and yet show your loving care in the, as a relationship, as a supportive. I don't know if that's answered your questions, but. <laughs> I was kind of more talking about you are one of the two people in this relationship. Oh, you're okay. the believer. You're dating the unbeliever because you just you fell it. in love. And knowing how long to let it go before it becomes perhaps apparent that Christ just isn't entering their, their Oh, heart. yeah. Um, Again, I go to heart motive. If you're in this relationship with someone who hates Jesus, what, are you, what is this relationship about? Are you using them for pleasure? That's essentially what it comes down to. Um, but maybe, maybe, maybe you're just honest that you're infatuated in your state. I, I think my overall, I would want to get to the point you don't be in that relationship. I mean, they can be a friend. They could be among your friends. But whatever a romantic relationship means, you're actually distracting them potentially from coming to Jesus. If they're getting enjoyment from you as a Christian and you're okay with it, they're not quite understanding the binary nature of light and darkness, of holiness and, and unclean things. So I think continual relationship is, is not good for their soul. Now God does wonderful things. I have friends who are in that situation. I have one friend that says he was teaching a Bible study, an unbeliever, a hot unbeliever came in. He says, I'm going to get her saved. And you know what? God did save her and they're married. So I, I can't say God can't do it. I, I, of course it's possible. Um, I think he would say that was sin. Like he would not, it, he would not say do it. I've, had, I've known Christians who met because they stopped at 12 lights together and decided to get out and meet each other. And, and they're just the most narrowly minded reformed people I know <laughs> together. I'm like, how did this happen? They're like, God's sovereign. I mean, just stupid things you would never advise. So never put it past God. But I, I think in general it just takes great wisdom. Okay that covered it oh yeah I don't advocate missionary dating I think that's uh, w what I was gonna say Greg um, it, fundamentally I think that we 
see marriage um, differently than unbelievers do. We we just had um, some some friends of ours who are not married come and stay with us, and uh, they've lived together for 15 years. And when they come stay with us, they sleep in separate bedrooms. And uh, you know, the, throughout the weekend, they talked uh, off and on and um, uh, mentioned marriage more than once as you know just this piece of paper. And whereas we see marriage as a reflection of the relationship with the Trinity, the relationship with uh, between Christ and his church, we see it as fundamentally holy and set apart. And they see marriage not dissimilar from how they see dating. It's just two people, and it's a commitment between one person and another person. It goes no further than that. So so how, how at what point do you call it off like well for them i mean it's there's what's fundamentally different between marriage and dating not all that much it's just you, you know so how how can you then set a well no this is dating and this is marriage and they're fundamentally different institutions when they just don't see it like that for one more i think i just have a response to that as well in that it's just going to get harder to break up. It's not going to get easier. Hmm. So the longer you wait in that situation, it's not, g- you know, it's harder. Important enough? <laughs> as Keith was pointing out, you know, God's sovereign. He certainly does save people. I think what we often do as Christians that are in those situations is we look at some outcomes and we tend to blur the lines between it's our business to deal with what is prescriptive. That is, this is what God says in his word. And then some other times we want to look at the descriptive. Hey, look, at this is what happened and it worked out for them. We're looking for some kind of loophole. And so I think we tend to blur those categories. What does scripture clearly teach concerning this situation? And then what actually happened? All right, let's close the prayer. Our Father, we, again, must cast ourselves upon your sovereignty, upon your grace and mercy. And you promise if we ask for wisdom that you would grant it. And so that's what we need in these kind of topics and situations. Pray that you equip us all week in, week out, to know your word, to know it well, and to also to know the contours of your word, that, that gray space in between to answer very specific questions. We pray that you would give us pastoring hearts, discipling hearts, mentoring hearts. And we pray for a church that uh, encourages community, Pray that we would not have any individuals on uh, their own islands here in Spring Meadows, and we would make sure of it. We would go to them. We would risk being called um, intrusive. Pray that we would look for hearts and believe that your word, your gospel, can uh, is fit for, for all questions of faith and practice. We pray that we would get to know the culture enough and, and to be aware of the dangers of, of the culture. You now look forward to our time of worship, to singing, to praying, uh, and to hearing your message preached rightly. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.